Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 176 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, I've been looking forward to this episode for a while, and I know a lot of you are really passionate about reaching the next generation. And churches, honestly, some are doing a great job and some not so much. And uh, one of the fun parts about this podcast is that, you know, we can know a lot about who you are. About 85% of you are American, um, and then there's all those Canadians. I'm Canadian, right? We got about 10% who are Canadian. But the next biggest audience is Australia, followed by New Zealand. And so I've got someone to represent the great down under (laughs) this week, uh, and that's Margaret Spicer. She is director of Next Gen Ministry, Family Ministry for the largest Baptist church in all of Australia. Margaret and I have a great conversation about how to lead up, how to lead others, how to lead when you're not the senior leader, and how to make a difference for the next generation. It's a great interview, and I think whether you're a senior leader, whether you're a next-gen person, uh, you're going you're gonna to love this. And she also is responsible for bringing a lot of orange thinking, and by that, you know, I mean my friend Reggie Joyner. Orange Conference, you know, Rethink Leadership, the whole thing, to Australia. And speaking of Australia, uh, because we do have thousands of people who listen to this podcast in Australia and New Zealand, uh, guess what? Me and my wife are going to hang out with you in the month of May this year. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to be there and we're really excited. Willow Creek, Australia and New Zealand are bringing us down. So uh, it is a Global Leadership Summit Plus event. And I'm going to be in a bunch of cities. I think we're going to be on the Gold Coast and Adelaide, I think Melbourne and Sydney, and then uh, maybe even Perth. And then we're going to head on over to New Zealand as well. And it's looking like we'll be in Auckland and a couple of other places as well. So we'll have links to where you can find that out in the show notes. Um, So just go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 176 or lead like never before and search episode 176. So if you're in Oz, I would love to meet you guys. We're going to be there in May. Uh, And that is a fun place. I've been there a few times. And I got to tell you, I just love Australia and New Zealand. We're really excited about being back. One thing you know as a church leader is that there are pitfalls to be avoided. And I sat down recently with Scott Magdalene of TrainedUp.Church, and I asked him, because he's a domain expert these days on training in churches, what are some pitfalls that ministry leaders should be aware of, you know, especially in light of shifting attendance trends and the changing culture? Well, we see um, pretty regularly that ministry leaders are frustrated with low attendance at training meetings um, or, you know, the lunch after church that you try to schedule to convince people to, <laughs> to come in for training, um, you know, buy everybody a sandwich from Firehouse and hopefully everyone comes. Um, but what we're seeing is that the, the the next step to try and fix that is that they, they start canceling training meetings and start sending more emails. Uh, and then they assume that maybe, you know, the emails will get read because they're they're more accessible because you can read them anytime. The problem is people still don't read emails. Um, the way that they fix that is by not re- replacing an engaging experience like a meeting with something that's less engaging like an email, but rather engage- re- replacing a meeting where people don't want to come or they have other things to do with something that's also engaging like a video or really even more so a video course where there's multiple steps and there's follow-up questions and it and it takes them through a path of knowledge or learning where they can, you know, at the other on the other end of the, when they finish the course, they can see that they've learned something, they've grown in some way. And so they're, the, the pitfall is going from, you know, canceling meetings to just hopefully they they read the email to um, the ones who are getting it right are shifting to online training and uh, in, in increasing engagement using video. You know, the best leaders I know are always on top of change. And if you want to think about how to train your volunteers better so they are as well, head on over to trainedup.church because during January, we'd love to get you started with training and online training for your church. And you might be thinking of too small or maybe you're part of a mega church and you're like, I don't think I can get everyone on board, but just my department. You know what? They can handle that and they got a price that works for your budget. And also, if you use the coupon code CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y, you'll get 10% off for life for being a listener of this podcast. So head on over to trainedup.church and Scott and his team will get you started with some amazing training. In the meantime, have you registered yet for Rethink Leadership? It's happening in Atlanta, April 25th through 27th. I would love to see you there. It's an exclusive gathering 
for campus pastors, senior pastors, and executive pastors. I'm going to be there speaking, hosting, along with many other world-class leaders. Would love to see you there. And Canadian church leaders, check out the Canadian Church Leaders Conference at canadianchurchleaders.ca. We would love to get you and your team connected. And uh, yeah, those are two events I'm really excited about being at this year and would love to see you. And you know what? Those are slow events. Like we actually may have a chance to chat and I'm excited for that. In the meantime, let's jump into my conversation with Margaret Spicer. Well, Margaret, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you. This has been a long time coming. It has, Carrie. It has. Yeah. (laughs) Good to be here. So you come to us from Australia, but that's not really home right? (laughs) No, no. I actually was raised in New Zealand and I've been in Australia for the last seven years. All right. So what what are the differences for those of us? Because we we actually have a lot of listeners in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, I was telling you beforehand, we hear from people in Oz all the time. And what would an Australian or a Kiwi, a New Zealander, say the difference? Because Brian Houston's been on the podcast before, too. Uh, (laughs) And he's he's Kiwi, right? He's originally New Zealand. Everyone thinks he's Australia, but he's a Kiwi. (laughs) What how do how do Australians and New Zealanders like relate to each other? Well, it's kind of that love-hate relationship, a little bit like Americans and Canadians. A little bit, yeah. Americans love Canadians, but they don't know that we get intimidated by Americans. Oh, Kiwis get intimidated by nobody. (laughs) (laughs) There you are. There you are. Okay. (laughs) Sometimes I put it this way. I'm a Kiwi on missionary service in Australia, but I don't say that too often in Australia because that might not go down so well. (laughs) Is there a big difference between Australians and New Zealanders, Kiwis? Yeah. And in actual fact, not a whole lot of differences. But you like to pretend there are? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. It depends who's winning at sport. (laughs) Ah, and the big sports yeah. there are what? Cricket and rugby? So, yeah, d- definitely, definitely our rugby in, in New Zealand. Yeah. Well, I've been, um, and again, you set all this up, but I've been to Australia twice, to New Zealand once, and Tony and I are spending a good chunk of May of 2018 in Australia and New Zealand. So, uh, we're doing a cross country speaking tour. And I think it's truly cross-country this time. We did, yep. what, five cities last time? I don't know. We did more in Australia. We've done New Zealand before, but we're going, uh, I think probably by the time this tour is done in May of 2018, I think we're going to have been in eight to ten cities across Australia yeah. and New Zealand. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yes, that's good. We're looking forward to having you here. And I tell all my friends, they're like, what's it like there? I'm like, you have to put it on your list. Like, I love... <laughs> Both countries and the people are magnificent. <laughs> well, I have to agree with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. And so, uh, Margaret, right now you're talking to us from the largest Baptist church in Australia, Crossway Church in Melbourne, where I've preached and been part of what you guys are doing before. Um, tell us how you and your, your next gen director there, right? Your family ministry there. Uh, tell us how you got interested in helping the next gen. Yeah. Well, I'm a teacher by profession Mm -hmm. before I became a pastor. And so I've always had this desire to see kids grow and to to learn and develop and know the importance of family being involved in that. But really, actually, for me, the, the passion for next gen has become incredibly strong since I've been here at Crossway, seeing the way that we all need to work together. It's not about doing our individual things well, like children's ministry well or youth ministry well. Um, it's actually about doing it together because our kids come from the same families. And so for me, the, what keeps me awake at night is figuring out how do we better help a family raise faith in their kids and just seeing the impact of that way of thinking has just transformed the way I do ministry, but also the way we do it here at Crossway. Mm-hmm. And by th- that, by the way, is a, a complete New Zealand accent, if you're wondering. <laughs> and I think it's amazing. I love I love the Kiwi accent. I love the Australian accent. And here I am with my Canadian accent, accent speaking to a largely American audience. So this is a global <laughs> podcast, Margaret. You're making it global. <laughs> now, um, you, how long have you been at Crossway now? I've been here for seven years now. And how many how many would you see on a weekend in physical attendance at your locations? It's a big church. It's a good sized church. Yeah. Yes. So we've got two campuses and so we have about four and a half thousand people. Yeah. Um, 
through the weekend. But we actually, of course, there are many churches, people don't come every single weekend as much as we would like that to be. But there will be no room if everyone came that one weekend. And Steve um, Fogg's been a guest who who was uh, at Crossway for a number of years and launched your online ministry. And I mean, you have thousands who watch online too around the world. That That's correct, yes. Which yes. is really cool. We'll link to that episode in the show notes. So, um Curious, you know, when you came to Crossway, how many years ago was that? Was that four or five years ago? Seven. Seven. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We've known yeah. each other a long time. We have. That is a long time. And so you've been there for seven years. And I remember one of the challenges you first had, and this is going to speak to senior leaders, but also to a lot of family ministry people. You mentioned, and this is what twigged my memory, that you 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 kind of had to lead up like Family ministry in a lot of churches, by default, tends to be a department, right? Yes. And definitely. one of your first jobs, I remember you you said to Dale, the senior pastor, hey, we've got to do this together, and I want to get on your radar screen, and this is an all-church thing. Talk talk us through that. How do you lead up as a leader, Margaret? Because you have, you have a strong personality. Uh, you don't mind standing up for families and that kind of stuff, but like, not every senior leader receives it well. Dale received that beautifully, and I want you to walk us through how you did that and why that's so important. Yeah, oh, definitely. It was even in the process of coming on board here, the initial approach that Dale brought to me was to be their children's uh, pastor here at Crossway. And just looking at the church, looking at uh, what was in front of me before I arrived, I go, no, it's actually got to be children and family. You actually can't just do children's. And so he sort of took that on board and worked with that and said, oh, absolutely. And I think what he saw then in me was some passion and skills that I could bring to actually help the overall church. And I think that developed a foundation for us or a platform of mutual respect. So like, actually, Dale had to wait for almost a year for me to get from New Zealand to Australia. Yeah, it did take and a while, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, it did take a while. Uh, he was actually all the time giving me the space to work things out logistically and in my heart and stuff. Um, but all the time... Uh, coming alongside me and just assuring me that he thinks that I'm the right person to lead. Now, with that confidence, I was able to then come under his leadership really well and lead up for him, to him. One of the things I found was important in that was actually having a very clear vision. Um, I, I'm very clear in, in vision and mm-hmm. consistent. So it was saying the same thing over and over and over again. And I think that just helped him get it because I needed to help Dale see what I could see. He'll never see it exactly the same way because he's a senior leader. He's got other things to see, but I'm the voice and he needed me to be part of the team, to be a voice for our next gen. And so my constant thing is to try and help him see what I see. Yeah, you and I met at Orange Conference years ago, and I think that's because you brought approximately 97 people over to Orange Conference one year, and I met with you backstage. It was great. Yeah. And yeah. we kind of struggled with friendship, and you brought me over and the whole deal. But um, you do have a very clear strategy, and you had that. Now, you're talking to thousands of leaders right now who have been to Orange Conference or have a similar strategy. And here's, here's where they get frustrated sometimes, Margaret, and help them out because they go to the leader and they say, hey, I want to implement or- orange at the church. And the leader is like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't see the need for it. Walk us through a little bit more play by play how that conversation um, developed between you and Dale. And, yeah. you know, how, how were you able, you said you had to say that again and again. How did you do that without being annoying? How did, <laughs> how did you do that without getting, like, kicked out? Talk us through that dynamic, because I think you and Dale have a very, like, he obviously respects you. I know that because I know Dale. Um, but a lot of leaders struggle in that area, and I just want you to give us the, the play-by-play, both from, a, you know, I'm, I'm listening as a senior leader, but I know that there are thousands of next-gen leaders, student pastor, kids pastors out there who are listening through their lens going, I can't get my senior leader to buy in. So walk us through that. Oh, definitely. It starts with the relationship, so mm. trying to develop that you know, time together. But when every time I come before Dale, I want to be solution-focused. 
So when we begin a conversation, I'll normally lead in with some observations that I make. This is what I'm seeing. One of our observations was I noticed that our families weren't coming on a consistent service. They would right. we had four different services and they would just move around and jump around and go, actually, I don't find that's helpful. It's not helpful in our children and family ministries at all. So I was able to come and say, well, I need to actually work on the strategy of having parents coming consistently to one service and I need you to stand with me on this one mm. and so I was able to help him to see what I saw and to say well here's a solution if families were consistent it would help the adult church but it would also help our children's ministry team and so when we went to our congregation and said that small groups matter we crafted a phrase that we both used Dale and I stood together and we gave that idea to our church what if we were to sign on to the same service and what we if, if we as children's ministry leaders were to give the same small group leader to your children and provide that consistent experience and so what that did was it helped change the culture in the church because it wasn't seen like Dale and I were doing this separately we were doing it together but part of my lead up process and all of that was to help him, again, help him see what, what, what I see, but to also uh, try and uh, talk his language. So trying to see what Dale sees in the congregation. As this next-gen leader, you can come so passionate with what you want to do and you know how it's going to affect the church, but if you don't actually talk your senior leader's language, then it's much harder for them. So I try and put myself in Dale's shoes and try and say, well, what does he want to hear and what matters most to him? And then that begins the conversation. And from there, I can take it where I need to. That's really, that's really you know, emotionally intelligent of you because that's empathy. Uh, that's also respect for the leader. But you're also trying to figure out, like, how is he going to win, right? Mm. Like, like, how does the whole church get better, not just my part of the church? Get yeah. better. That's that's really wise. Anything else you and Dale would do to kind of build that relationship? You mentioned it's a relationship. So how did you go about building that with Dale? Because, I mean, he's an approachable guy, but he leads a church of 4,500, you know, plus online. He's busy. He's got lots of things to do. Can be hard to get on his calendar. How, how do you do that? Yes. Well, because in our reporting structure, I'm a direct report to Dale. I serve on the executive team. He saw the value of having a generational voice in our key leadership team, so he invited me to be part of that. So we would meet weekly as an executive team. Uh, we also then have our monthly catch-ups. But if you're not in that direct relationship with your senior leader, then ask for a meeting, even over lunch. Shout him lunch, buy him coffee, uh, but come with a great question. Don't just come expecting to get stuff um, or to get resources, it's often, or to uh, actually to um, complain. <laughs> you yeah. want things better. <laughs> it's easy to do that, but I think come with a great question, and that question can lead into a, a better conversation that talks about the whole church winning, not just your departmental area. But if I left it up to Dale to come to me, then that might ha not happen uh, yeah. regularly. It wasn't in our diaries, not because he doesn't value my ministry, but because, uh, yeah, he's a busy guy. So how do you actually get it on the calendar? But make that time work. Uh, the other air place I love to have Dale come is to come and visit our ministry. And I'll ask him to come walk through the hallways of our children's ministry, uh, come and catch up with some of our youth guys. And um, again, he does that. And he doesn't need to stay long, but just his presence in that place makes a really big difference. And it sends a really strong message to our ministry that our senior leader is for us and with us. I don't think all senior leaders actually understand how powerful their presence is, even for a short moment there. I think that's very true. I think I think you're right that senior leaders often underestimate our, um, you know, the value that we could bring or even the impact we could have. But the other thing is, I listen to you talk about it. I mean, there's a there's a confidence that you have that I think is very winning. It's almost like, hey, this is important. It's significant. And you're leading like how many kids would you have on a Sunday? So we get around about a nine hundred and fifty to a thousand. Yeah. So I mean, a quarter of your congregation, you're leading a quarter of your congregation, <laughs> yeah. 
And if that's 100 and you've got like 25 kids, the math is still the same. Like you're leading a quarter of the congregation. You should have a strategy. You should have an approach. Why did you land on the orange strategy? And can you, you know, I mean, I know I know the answer to this question, but can you give us a quick summary of it? And why did you land there? Because you weren't always an orange church. No, absolutely. Uh, we've been on the journey of turning orange, and we're still on that journey. Yeah. Um, I think that the real thing for me was putting family front and centre and to be able to say we're not thinking about programs because programs people can walk away from. Relationships is much harder to yeah. do that. And what we want to do is to actually develop the relationships within the home that strengthens that piece, which actually strengthens the relationships with people in the church and makes us a more viable option for those who are unchurched. Uh, Because that's the thing we have in common is our family. People worry about their kids. People want to do family really well. And so for me to actually put our whole strategy around that, looking at, well, what are we doing with families, not just for families, because we can provide a lot of external stuff that families can take or leave, but I really want our church to be part of an actual what happens at home. And we think, we actually say here, like Orange do, what happens at home is more important than what happens at church. But we know that the two things work together really well but it doesn't just happen naturally you have to really work at it you have to be strategic and for us we had to do less to actually do more so we had to go what will matter the most and what will make the most difference and really focus our energy on that and sometimes be almost ruthless about that and say well there are many options we can do but this is the thing we're going to do to strengthen families but to actually be in communication with families what do you need because we can be very prescriptive but unless we're really thinking what it's like Monday through Saturday for our families it's it's not going to work for us long term yeah, that's the heart of the orange strategy too, right? It's this, you know, the orange is, orange is a combination of two colors. This is Reggie Joyner's organization, uh, our mutual friend. And, you know, yellow is sort of the light of Christ, stands for the light of Christ. Red is uh, the color of family. It's the color of love. Home is where the heart is. And it's when you blend red and yellow influences, the influence of the home and the influence of the church, that you get something more vibrant. And for a lot of us, we've led or grew up in churches where we only thought about the hour on Sunday, and we never thought about all the influence that parents have. So orange is not just a curriculum, it's a strategy that seeks to combine those two influences so, so that you're coming along families during the week. So you actually, what you said was really interesting. You had to simplify your ministry because you can only do so much and do it well. Did you have to kill some programs? Yeah, we did. Okay, tell us about that. Well, one of the things I think I've probably gone down in history for is I killed a very successful children's camp. Oh, and wow. And every year take some kids away to camp. But I have made the observation that we had you know, 100 kids or so at camp, a whole lot more back at church, but it was just for a weekend. And the kids had a really good time, and God did some amazing stuff. But I asked the question of myself and of my team, what if we were to spend that same long weekend investing in families and they would have go home with some skills and some things that they could do for the other 51 weeks of the year. What if we did that? What would be the outcome? And if we did that with a number of families over a number of years, how would that change the face of our church? And so with boldness, we said, no more kids camp. (laughs) And the kids weren't initially really impressed with that, nor were some of the leaders. However, we back-ended that with, here's our vision, here's our heart. Now, we did some things for the kids to actually bring some of that social dynamic into our annual planner, but we said, we're going to circle that weekend for family and to really take family and to help families actually grow the faith in their kids when they're at home. So it's not just the church, but church and family together. So that was an example of doing less for kids, but more for families. And we've actually found over the six years we've run that, um, we've actually seen some great momentum and families tell us story but stories back about how that was actually transformational for them. And then we see the way they engage with us differently during the year. It's actually really noticeable and it's worth it to that effort. 
So you changed that. You also mentioned one of the first things you did, you had four services on the weekend or whatever, and families would bounce around, which from a senior leader perspective, it's like, hey, if you can't make the nine, come to the 11 or come to the one or come to the, you know, whenever. We get that. But as you and I both, I think, would agree, that's a disaster for families because you get a different small group leader every week. And if your church is built around small groups, that's a problem. Um, When you cast vision for that, you probably had to make some other changes as well, right? So talk about the changes you had to make to get a consistent leader in the life of a kid, which again is is a heart of the orange strategy. Oh, definitely. I think we had to actually raise the value of what could be if you had a consistent leader showing up in the life of a young person. And actually taking people back to their own experiences of what made a difference for you as you were growing up. Who are the people? You see, we don't remember the programs that we had as we grew up. We actually remember the leaders that made a difference in our lives. True. So we changed our recruitment strategy around that personal relationship. What if you were there waiting for a young person every week? What if they knew that you turned up because they were there? How different would that actually make our whole experience? And we found actually our leaders loved it more because they had a consistent small group. They knew who was going to be there. And then when a person wasn't there, they would actually naturally go pursue them, go, we missed you. Why were you not there? So they were doing much of the care that we'd tried to do through a system before. They were actually doing it through a heart relationship. And that actually changed things for us. Right. So to get the strategy, just in case uh, people aren't familiar with that, I mean, if you were a leader at, say, the nine o'clock service, um, you could have like 40 different kids rotating through your group of 10. So this week it's what's your name? And then they're not there for another six weeks or a month or whatever. And so you never knew who were there. But the idea behind it is, no, it'll be the same 10 or 12 kids every week. And once in a while you add a new one, but you get to know them just like a teacher gets to know a class, just like a coach gets to know a team. The small group leader starts to build relationships with the kids and the parents and that becomes a much richer experience, both for the small group leader. I mean, that's how we structure our our services, etc. But let me tell you, when we went to every week service at Connexus, we got pushback from people. People got mad, and they're like, "Well, I always did a rotation, and I know probably at least half the people who are listening to this podcast they do family ministry based on rotation." Um, what's anything else on the downside to rotation, and then? What do you do to all those people who are like, I will, because, you know, the shadow side is you're going to serve every week and maybe you'll get some time off in the summer or whatever, but like you're, you're going to serve every week. How did you overcome that at Crossway? Yeah, well, because we have multiple services, some of our volunteers actually serve one, attend one. So they serve with us and then attend this adult service. But we have some that actually share the leadership of a group. See, I don't like doing rosters because it says team A, team B, then you spend all this time emailing people. You're on, you're off, you're on. Um, I actually empower, say, two leaders and say, can you lead this small group together? And so if you can't do it, can some, can your partner do it? And so this small group can actually operate as, as a group with one leader, but they've actually got two people in, in right. their lives. And we actually found that's been transformational. It helps our leaders who only want to serve every fortnight. Um, we used to have monthly volunteers. We actually don't give them a small group because we value small groups. So they do other roles for us in our ministry. But in a small group, you can actually do it every second week, but you're actually doing it with another person. So it's like a couple leading the group. Okay, for those of us on this side of the Pacific, what's a fortnight? I mean, I think I read that in Shakespeare. I forgot. I forgot. It's like, is that like 40 days? I don't know. What is that? What's a fortnight? Bi-weekly, every second week. Every second week. Okay, see, I didn't know that. And then you say other things like car park, right, which we would call parking lot. Parking lot. It's fun. If I'm there for three weeks next May, I will speak Australian by the time I go and drive on the wrong side of the road. So that'll be great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that, Margaret. Uh, forgive my ignorance. Uh, I just, I always thought Fortnite was 40 days. I'm like, that can't be it. But anyway, okay. All right. Uh, tell us for you, what is the most difficult aspect for you as a senior leader in your church of leading next-gen ministry? What are some of the hills you've had to climb or take? 
Yeah, I think it's understanding the fast-paced changes that our young people are, are, are facing. Mm. And so the world is so different, and yeah, we get great technology uh, and things that changing all the time. Uh, to keep in touch with what's going on at the world in the world, you've got to be a student of that world. And yes, I'm getting a little bit older, <laughs> uh, but I need to actually keep in touch with what's going on in the reality. What is it like to have a young family? What is it like to be a high school student? What is it like? So I've actually got to spend more time in conversation with those who are in that phase and to try and understand that. Um, Orange again has put out this amazing resource around phases. That's been so helpful for us to understand the dynamics of what's going on educationally and physically and spiritually for the life of a child. But in our gen ministries, I think we have to actually, it's not what we do to our young people, it's what we do with them. So we've got Mm. to involve leaders in a different way than we have in the past. So we don't have teachers, we have communicators. And so facilitators of small groups. That change in language is really important because it positions you differently with your young people. We're on a journey together. We're discovering this together. And so I want to give the voice of what we do in our ministry to our younger generation. And for me, that's a constant to try and how do we actually empower them. Reggie Joyner says, don't tell me I'm significant. Give me something significant to do. And that has haunted me. (laughs) I know, me too. I quote him a lot on that one. Yeah. Well, I keep thinking about that and I look at our those who are leading in that space. I look at our young people and say, how am I giving you something significant? What are you owning? And so that's been a big thing for me is actually passing ownership to uh, our younger leaders, but you don't pass the ownership over and walk away. It's a bit like teaching a young person to drive a car. Mm. You don't just get the keys and say, go figure it out, uh, or you've done a couple of lessons, all right, now you're on your own. You actually are a passenger in that vehicle for a long time, and even when they do take the vehicle out, you're worried where they are. You you might give them a pointer or two along the way, right? (laughs) Absolutely. But it's about doing the journey with them. So I'm highly connected with our team, but I'm actually wanting to give them opportunity to own it themselves. Because what I find is our younger communicators actually connect with our kids better than I do because they talk the language. They understand their world more. But our leaders need me in that piece for coaching and developing. So it's actually quite a complex strategy now. No matter what ministry you're involved in, it's all transferable. I do the same thing if I was in a small church, and I have been leading in small churches. That's what I do here in a bigger church. Wow. Um, When you came, did it have a more departmental feel where the students were doing their own thing and the kids were doing their own thing, and you kind of unified it together? Did Did that happen with you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Talk about that, because I think in a lot of churches, it's still stratified where, you know, student dude is over there in the corner doing whatever student guy does or student woman does. And then, you know, the preschool is its own thing. And why was that a challenge for you? And why did you change it? Oh, wow. Because if we keep just doing our own thing, then we, we get better at that and we do really well in that space. But if we're not working together, we're not actually serving our families. Yeah. And every time a young person transitions through a phase from one ministry area to the other, well, we can actually lose them. We can lose families. We can lose young people because it's not the same. And it gets confusing for us. <laughs> Uh, We actually find we're better as a team, and we've had to really work at this to actually like each other, to actually appreciate what happens uh, below and above us, to understand that so we can articulate it, but also to champion the cause of another ministry. So I want our youth guys to be able to say, our kids' ministry is just the best, and here's why. Because I've been in there, and I've seen that, and I know it. And so then when our kids come from our children's ministry into our youth ministry, there's still that relational connect, and they they 
journey for our young people is that much easier to make because we're actually talk the same language, we have the same values. Our volunteers find that helpful. They're not having kids pulling on one arm and youth pulling on the other and here they're in the middle going, oh, who do I actually serve with, youth or kids? For us at Crossway, we serve generationally. So when we talk to a new volunteer, we're actually saying, oh, do, are you best serving in our preschool ministry? Or maybe are you best serving in our high school ministry? Mm. So we put our volunteer in that front and centre place and go, where will God be able to use you the most? Not where do we have a hole that we need filled? Yeah. How did that change the dynamic of the staff at the most senior level and, and within the next gen ministry area? Yes. Well, we were physically in two separate offices. So from our children's ministry to our youth ministry, we'd have to actually try and organize meetings where we would meet together. We didn't see each other in the normal rhythm of of the day. And so in our senior leadership as our executive team, we noticed what was going on. We're in five different areas, I think, from our church. We've all come together in one facility. We've had to invest in that. And so now we've got an open office forum and our all-generational ministry team is all together. And so, yes, it's a bit noisier than um, perhaps other areas would have been, but we bring this uniqueness in that space that we actually do life together. And we've been in the same ministry office area for the last year. And I tell you, as a ministry leader, that has made such a difference to me to have my whole team close by. It's made that relational difference. They have lunch together often. Hmm. Uh, and it's just we, we minister out of relationship now, not out of our program or what we're paid to do. We actually care about what happens in the other areas. And I think that's made a huge difference to us as a church. So you've done a literal application. We've mentioned Reggie Joyner a lot, but I mean, we share his strategy at our church and at your church. But, you know, Reggie always says, it's hard to be on the same page if you're not in the same room. And yes literally you're all in the same room now. So it's a lot easier to be on the same page because you're right. You know, the three-year-old eventually becomes a 13-year-old. And if the the student pastor isn't really talking to the preschool pastor, it can be like transferring schools or even school boards where, oh, you don't have math? Okay. I thought you were supposed <laughs> to learn math, you know, and okay, we're, you know, we 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 can often be so out of sync in our curriculum that we're not e- we don't even have a consistent or thought through approach to uh, how we how we guide our kids and develop their faith as they grow from stage to stage and phase to phase. Okay, so those yeah. are some of the challenges, Margaret. What have been some of the most rewarding aspects for next gen ministry for you so far? Oh, absolutely. You know, every time I'm in our environment with our youth or our young adults or our children, I I get this front row seat of seeing young people discover a personal faith. Mm. And I guess for me, being here seven years, I've been able to see some growth uh, in in our young people and their own personal journeys. And it's so exciting to see the things that we're actually dreaming of and believing for actually come to be. And you see a family that are... um, maybe doing things together that they weren't doing before. So you actually can see that growth, but it takes time. It really does take time. And in generational ministries, you don't have a six-year-old come out of their ministry and saying, thank you, Pastor, for investing in my life and transforming the way I think (laughs) about God. Um, They just, see ya. Yeah. If you even get that, and they're out the door. Um, But what I love the most is being able to prompt families into saying, well, what about trying this at home? Um, Have you thought about this? Are you aware of that? And being a voice that actually supports the family unit. So that's so rewarding for me. And when parents come back and say, oh, our kids have been talking about what they're learning about at church, and we've been talking that at home as well. We're using the same language. Um, That, to me, is really exciting. And it actually helps me go the hard yard, because it's not easy. There's lots of you have to do and you go, is this ever, um, you know, is it making a difference when you walk in and find the room not vacuumed on a Sunday morning or things like that and you're mm-hmm. going, oh no, here we go again. But you get those moments that remind you that God is over this and every week matters. Everything that you do on a consistent basis actually builds part of a bigger story. The other thing that I really love is seeing leaders develop. 
Mm. So people that come in as volunteers, I use the phrase, if I don't grow, grow I'll go. So hmm. I want every leader to grow and I want them to know that we're committed to their growth and leadership, not just about what they're doing, but about their, their life leadership. So we want to have a plan for every one of our volunteers and how they will grow and how they're actually growing the ministry. So that's exciting for me to see them step up and take ownership of it. We talk about you know how we wish that people would own stuff. You have to put a strategy around developing leaders and giving them ownership opportunities. But when they grab hold of it, you've got people that will take it to places that you, I just dream of. I'm in a situation right now where I've got a crazy bunch of about 25, 26 young adults who are investing in our children's ministry and they just get together because they, they want to talk about how to make this better. And so I just love sitting in that room and going, you guys have been part of this journey and now you're actually taking it further. And with that, got the same heart though that I have for the ministry and it just makes it a real joy. Well, Margaret, it's pretty clear just, you know, hearing you speak now that you're great at leading a cause and articulating things. But I bet you there's uh, quite a few leaders listening right now who realize I need to do a better job of communicating the strategy, etc. And I know we've touched on this already, but any other tips for them who are like, wow, how do I get that level of fire in my bones? How do I get that articulate and, and create that much change in our church? Yeah. Um, for me, I want to keep developing myself as a leader. I keep looking around at best practice. What are other people doing? Not for a, a sense of competition, but I want to see what's working because I then want to put it through my lens and go, is there something I can learn here? Is there something I can do? Um, it also helps me get passionate about what I love mm-hmm. as children's ministry and youth ministry and the whole generational piece. So I want to keep growing and leading in that. It's not about me coming up with all the ideas. It's not about everything doesn't rest on my shoulders. Sometimes you feel like that. There was a time in my ministry I felt like I was having to do everything and my good friend Sue Miller um, sort of helped me understand that, yes, maybe for this season you are doing a lot, but write down, and I actually wrote down on little party hats, all the roles I was doing. And then it was like the whole picture for me of going, which hat can I give someone else to wear? That's and brilliant. And it wasn't about me giving away my jobs. Right. It was about me sharing the joy that I feel in ministry. And because every leader has a narrative around them, and I want the narrative around me to be about energy and positivity and a future. So I wanted people to take the joy that I have, and I want to share it. And I can share it by inviting them to be part of this uh, this, this journey that we're on. And so I, that changed the way that I thought. And I think sometimes when you have to do a lot of things in your ministry, you just feel like you get tired of it. And you feel nobody else cares, you're not seen. Um, one of the things I found for me has been helpful is to seek out people who will be for me, not necessarily even in the room with me, but for me and can encourage me. But actually find a way to um, share my heart for our ministry with someone else. And then nine times out of ten, that person would say to me, well, how can I help? How can I help you do what you need to do? And I needed to have an answer because when we're so busy and we feel like the weekend's coming and we have to do so much, then we actually don't take the time to think about how others can help us. And we we tend to do it ourselves because it's easier. I had to change that mindset for myself. I love the idea of like, because we use that metaphor all the time, right? I'm wearing so many hats to actually take party hats, write down what you're doing and then share not the burden, but the joy of giving some of that away. That that is is a a huge takeaway, Margaret. That's great. (laughs) So on that note, people are going to be like, uh, where do you get most of your team? Uh, a lot yeah. of us, I think, look to external hires, and I'm sure you've done one or two in your day. Uh, but talk to us about developing leaders and, and how you do that. Where do you get most of your team? Yeah, I try and get most of my team from within our church. Sure. Because um, that's you you're growing up people who actually understand your DNA and culture. The difference of somebody coming in from another church 
into your church is they've actually got to then learn your culture. And sometimes it's a pretty tough uh, road. I mean, I know when I moved into here, I was actually able to do a lot of cultural change, but I had to actually, first of all, be immersed in what was current reality. So when you're actually drawing people from within, they already have a heart for your church. They already get this. But sometimes I think we say people's no for them. And we do it too quickly. We say, oh, you're too busy. You would never do that. You, you, you have a passion for something else, so you wouldn't want to help us. Actually, I, I've learned, I'll keep learning, to actually put it out to them and go, what if? What, what if you were to help us? What if you could do that? I'm looking for someone to do this this role. I mean, even as last weekend, a lady came into our family lounge, and it's a hosted space that we have for our young families when they come and when the children haven't, uh, they're too young to go into the, our children's ministry, perhaps, or their breastfeeding mums. And this lady comes in to chat with me, and I said to her then, have you ever thought of hanging out in this space? It's just the best ever that you can come along and, and serve family because she was obviously connecting in with some young children. She said, I've never thought of that. I hmm. go, I think you'd be great. Would you come and join me and do it? And she said, as a matter of fact, I will. I was absolutely a little bit surprised, but very encouraged too. So sometimes I think we're looking beyond, but we actually need to look at who's already invested and then help them grow into that space. And we've got young people that just long to do something. But what they need help, they need guidance, they need someone to walk that journey with them. But how do you actually bring them on um, is to actually bring them alongside you hmm. and journey with you. And that's been a really big piece for us. One of the strategies that we brought in for um, even for some staff, they goes, I had full-time staff uh, leading our children's ministry and one of our guys was finishing up and I thought, well, where am I going to find another pastor from and started to think about the external process and then had this moment when I thought, what if I carved that role up and offered our university students, four university students who are currently serving in our ministry, said, don't go get another part-time job. Come work for us for two days a week because that's what we worked out. They were tending to have to do to get themselves through university or through college. And so we divide up this role and I invited some of these young leaders in and I said, this is just while you're studying. You're not necessarily going to be a pastor, but I want to develop your leadership, but I want to release you to lead in the way that you've been doing. And we call these pastoral assistants. And that has been wonderful for us because they come in with great enthusiasm and energy and then they lead on the weekends, they help plan, but they're part-timers, their study is still their main thing. But that was an example of looking to see who we already had Hmm. and not looking outside for this person that's going to do it all because primarily... I don't think that that always works out so well. It really takes, I think, the opportunity for us to think, who do we currently have? Well, Moses had that experience with God when God said, what have you got in your hand? Yeah. And God helped Moses look at his staff a different way. And, and that's been a driver for me in the way I build a team, both for volunteers and our staff team. You've already shared a lot of tips, but like any other secrets to developing great leaders, like great staff and volunteers? I I believe in strengths-based ministry where we look at what we do really well, be be aware of where our main game is Mm -hmm. (laughs) and play to those strengths and be willing to ask for help for the areas that you're not great at. My team know I'm a terrible administrator. (laughs) They know that I need somebody else to help me organize these things because I love the great big ideas, but the practical stuff of going through the checklists, I find that boring. Yeah, (laughs) me too. So I've actually put that out. But I want it done. (laughs) (laughs) Only because I'm not good at it. Yeah. But I've learned to actually work with people and say, okay, can you bring your strengths? Can I bring my strengths? What do we do when we can do this together? It's about being collaborative. And so I love that um, old African um, you know, proverb, isn't it? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And the, the big thing for that is, is it takes time to build team. Yeah. And it takes 
some candid conversation, some training, some opportunities. But when you start to build team and play to your strengths, I think you get momentum that you'll never get by yourself. And you'll you'll move through that glass ceiling that we all have when we just do it for ourselves. Um, we actually can go in different places because we bring other voices around the table. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Well, you haven't always done this job. And for a season, you were executive director of Willow Creek, New Zealand, which has a huge presence around the world, the Willow Creek Association. When you look at the broader church and just think about Australia, New Zealand right now, um, and I mean, to, to American listeners, I mean, it's a little bit like Canada, what, 3% of the population goes to church, maybe in Australia, New Zealand, it's pretty, pretty secularized country, which is now showing up in pockets all over the US and probably is where the future seems to be going. What are some of the challenges facing the wider church in your context in Australia, New Zealand? Yeah, I think you'll find that we're very similar to uh, to other churches, but I think we we've noticed, and this is through some research um, that that is being done, you know, uh, our National Church Life Survey and things like that that get done across our nations, um, are showing us that some of the more traditional denominations are seeing decline, and um, but I think I think where where I see the main issues uh, is is when we're not willing to be flexible. When mm. we're actually more married to our methodology than we are to our message. And mm. I think we have to be fluid in that. We have to, um, if we want to grow young, like the, um, you know, we talked about Cara Powell, um, mm-hmm. I, their stuff. Um, and so you actually want to actually bring that next generation having the voice coming up through there where you're being willing to actually let some ownership go. I think that's where churches are seeing some success there. and But also uh, having measurables and not being afraid to evaluate. I find that a lot of church leaders I talk to don't want to evaluate, you know, how are we going? Do we have people making decisions to follow Jesus? Um, <laughs> they don't want to hear the news because they don't like the news, right? Yeah. Well, you know, Dale says all the time, facts are our friends. <laughs> and um, we're, we'll embrace the facts and then we'll do something about it. And so if we're not willing to um, take that hard data and really look inwardly and go, what can we do differently about reaching our nation, we're actually not going to do that. If we want to hold on to the way we've always done things, we actually are on a course of decline. There's just no other way of of, of thinking about it. I think we need to be repositioning ourselves to be uh, in the community, but to be saying, well, what is it that's going to connect uh, our community with God? How can we be the good news of the gospel wherever we are? And I think our whole family strategy that's emerging around the world is so significant in that because Families connect with families, and it's very personal, and it's very reproducible. A family can be good news to the family next door. And I think the more we hear that coming from our platforms and our churches and our messaging and our teaching, um, I think we have to be so practical in that way that we understand that we have a potential, we have a responsibility, and church isn't just something that we do, it's who we are. So families are kind of a source of light where you see one family inviting another. Where are some other cracks of light you see in an otherwise pretty secular landscape? Like where do you see people taking an interest in the gospel and in in the mission of the church again? Yeah, I I think it's when, when a church is willing to wrestle with the issues that our, our nation is wrestling with. You know, to be able to, there's so many different things happening again in the life of our, our young people. And, and again, we, we are experiencing stuff because of an international world that we live in. We're in a very global community, so it's probably be very similar. But there are different pressures around the, the, the world, around, um, you know, gender identity and things like this, that we actually need to be as a church 
responding in a way that's not so that judgmental place, but how do we actually make sure that we are a place that's welcoming, that people would come into our environment. Now, look at some churches and go, they feel very um, foreign. So you walk into a cafe and you take 30 seconds to decide whether you like that cafe or not. You look Mm -hmm. around, you feel vibe. Uh, That's that's the way we're wired up these days. And if we ignore that as a church, then I think we ignore a front door that we can have. And so I think being spiritual (laughs) is really about being practical and seeing the unseen people, Um, seeing people in their normal day-to-day lives and going, how can it be, well, that we are convinced that we can see how Jesus will make a difference in their lives. And I think when it's real for us, it will be real for others. Mm. So if we just come to church just to attend, it's our social club, that's not a compelling reason to go spread the good news. So when a church elevates that and talks about family on mission, talks about the difference we can make and challenges us to do so, I I think that brings some momentum that we we don't see when you just come for a lecture, as it were, or a sermon. So there's a whole lot to it. It's not just what happens in an auditorium, but what happens in that whole experience. And I think when churches are getting grabbing hold of that, um, I think we're becoming um, more flexible and more relevant in our community. I want the church to be a voice that would be encouraging of our community and be seen for it, not against it. Yeah. Totally. Anything else you want to share with us, Margaret? This has been so helpful. Oh, that's great. Um, I just think for, for me as a leader, all the time thinking through myself, not just in my leadership role, but in my personal role. So my life journey and my leadership journey walk hand in hand. When I became a grandparent uh, three years ago, um, I think I'm really young, and so I say I'm a young grandparent, but I was given a word, and when I I first received it, I actually felt it was a bit insulting, but when I looked at it, I really believe it was a gift from God. Hmm. I was told to lead like a grandmother, and I thought, no, come on, I'm far more energetic than a traditional grandmother, Um, but lead like a grandma, and, and where I've actually taken that on board is I actually can't be a parent to my grandchildren. I can be an influencer to my daughter and my son-in-law, and then they parent the children, and I have to be an advocate for them, a champion for them, and provide wisdom and support however I can. And I took that into my leadership and said, I'm not to to be parent to everybody, but how do I actually lead through influence? Mm. And so when you look at your life stage as a leader and what you're learning in your regular life, See how that flows through in your leadership because we're not leader in one category and somebody else in another category. We're a holistic person and God wants all of us. And we're all broken. We all have faults. Own those. But what's God teaching you in your own personal life? And that has a connection to our leadership. And I just find that so helpful for me as a leader to lead with who I am and to make a difference, just being real. In, in our community. So if that's helpful for somebody, then maybe they need to lead like a grandma too. That's a good word. That's a good word. But it has a lot to do with age, stage, and season of leadership, which I think is wise. Margaret, I know there's going to be a lot of people who want to connect more and, and find out where can they find you online? Where's the easiest way? Well, I don't actually have my own website or anything um, yet. But again, I like to be a leader that's fairly accessible. And through Crossway, uh, you can get hold of me through my email is margaret.spicer at crossway.org.au. We also have um, some resources that we put online here from our church called thinkorange.org.au. And what we do there is we put things that we're learning uh, up there and people can access some of these things. And we are are developing blogs and, and more just sharing what, what we're doing here. We're in the very baby stages of that, uh, but I love connecting with leaders, and if there's any way we can help this overall mission of bringing the church to our communities, then I'm right into that. And Margaret's serious about that. I know she loves helping leaders. So, Margaret, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for being a guest today. Thanks, Kerry. I love the opportunity. I love listening to your podcast. I'm a big fan of yours. Th- well, thanks. It's mutual. 
Thanks, Margaret. Well, even the accents are amazing, aren't they? <laughs> and Margaret's a, a Kiwi who's been hanging out in Australia for a long time. You're going to want to access the show notes. You'll find everything at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 176. Or if you can't spell that, Google's pretty good with my name. But if you can't, just go to leadlikeneverbefore.com and search episode 176. You'll find everything there, including links to everything that we talked about. And in the meantime, next week, I've got a brand new episode. And my guest next time around is Todd Adkins. He's got one of the most downloaded episodes in the history of this podcast when you talked about leadership development. And we're doing a fun thing because he hosts, as a lot of you know, five leadership questions. And so Todd is here with Eric Geiger and myself, and we're going to talk about the lies that leaders believe. It's a bit of a different format. It's kind of a roundtable. Uh, but listen in. Here's, here's an excerpt from next week's episode. It's terrifying to think that, that leaders would be susceptible to that lie, right? That, but it's true. You've seen, you've seen it. I've seen it in people. Uh, that, and I, I think the reason is, is because at work or at church, you can crank out things and get things done. And, and you walk away from the day seeing results, seeing impact. And then you go home. And oftentimes the impact that we have with our spouses and our kids is less each day tangible. It's more intangible. So I'm attracted to, I can easily be attracted to the winning at the office, the winning in the ministry, the winning at work, because uh, it, it fuels the, the ego there. It fuels the pride. Uh, it gives me a sense of worth and accomplishment. And so I see the attractiveness of it. I have to repent of that. The, the scary thing is, is that someone would not be winning at home and still think that they're winning because uh, if you can't lead well at the house, you can't really lead well anywhere. Yeah. So next week, we're going to focus on the heart and uh, yeah, the things that we do that sometimes don't help us as leaders. So I'm excited for that. Todd Adkins, Eric Geiger with me next week on the podcast. And that one will also play on there. So we'll, we're going to expose you to a new podcast, which is kind of fun. Anyway, um, super excited for that. If you haven't headed over to trainedup.church, make sure you do so and hang out at rethinkleadership.com with me this year or the Canadian Church Leaders Conference.ca. Uh, we'd love to see you in person this year. And remember, we got that trip to Oz and to New Zealand as well. So that's, that's going to be an awful lot of fun. Uh, thanks so much for listening. You guys make it awesome. Thank you for the ratings, the reviews, for sharing this. If this is helpful, check out the show notes, share it with your team. And uh, yeah, we'll do this again next week. How does that sound? And thanks so much for listening. I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.